0: Morning, hope you guys are doing well. It's nice to see all of you today. You know, two weeks ago, we launched our ministry season and then in conjunction with that, we launched our updated mission statement. Uh, If you don't really live in a world where you care a ton about mission statements, you don't talk about that a ton, you're like, why is that important? A mission statement is essentially, it gives direction and trajectory. It kind of says, this is what this local body of Christ, this is what this community is after. This is our aim. This is our goal. And so this is how we articulated that. That mission statement is this, loving people into the acceptance and the freedom of Jesus Christ. This is our heart. It is. And this is the endeavor that we as a church uh, are after. There's so many things that churches can endeavor to do. But for us, we just felt like, you know what, I think this is what God has been leading us on. This is the path that we're on. This feels honest and sincere. And this doesn't feel like a new mission. This feels like we're partnering in with the thing Christ has been doing in us and through us and all along. Because we want to see more and more people have this genuine experience of knowing that they have a place with God. That's how we talked about acceptance. We want more and more people to have this genuine experience of living in the freedom of what it is to be who they are in Jesus and, and partnering with them, to see where he takes them and, and all that. And we want to love people in a way that, that helps them move in that process in that way. And so what we did is we said, okay, at the start of the year, let's teach through these things because each of those words, right? There's shirts around, you guys have seen, accepted, loved, free. There's the statement. Let's teach through what each of those words mean because a lot of us have a lot of different definitions for some of those things. And so let's try to consolidate our understanding, the way that we think about this stuff, so that we can be unified and we can move forward together. And so we did. The very first week, Glenn got up and he talked about acceptance. Now, I bet a lot of us hold different definitions for acceptance, but here in that mission, when you see that word acceptance, what we mean is just his phrase, you have a place with us. That's it. It's because we want people to know that they have a place with God. And so that's, that's what we're after when we convey these things. We want people to know that. The second thing was freedom, and he talked about that last week. I need to find freedom this way. He said, living out of who you are while trusting Christ in you right? That Jesus has made each of us, God has created each of us uniquely, that you're you and he's made you and created you to be you and he has things he wants to do through you. And so don't fit a cookie cutter mold of a bunch of different things. Don't just try to be this perfect representation of a Christian or whatever those other things are. Be you and trust Christ to teach you and to shape you and to move you and walk with him in this life. Live in the freedom of who you are. And that means today we get to talk about love. And what a crazy endeavor to talk about love. And it's because it can mean so many different things. Love is such a challenging thing to talk about. If I ask each of you to write a definition for love, it'd be a blast to read all of those. We'd be here forever reading all of the different definitions and ways of describing and articulating and metaphors and all of the particular things. When we talk about love, let me just say it right off the bat. I want you to think of it this way. Here's a definition that we're going to hold. And it's this, love is seeking the good of someone else without your own agenda, right? I know there's a lot of perspectives that could exist out here, but I want you to know that when we talk about this idea of love, love is seeking the good of someone else without your own agenda. And I'm going to unpack why we care so much about this, why this is at the heart of this mission statement and this message here this morning. Love is a really weird thing in our culture. I want you to imagine right now that I look to each of you guys and I say, we want to be about loving people. Here's what I'd experience. A bunch of head nods in the room, right? A bunch of people be like, yes. And be like, yeah, we want to be about loving people. Yes. And we'd all be nodding our heads, pretending like we know what each other means. But the hard part is modern Americans, and it really you don't just have to be an American, anybody who's a user of the English language, we have one word for love, one word, and it means so many different things. It creates a lot of complexity, right? Love can mean about a hundred different things. A while ago, I stood in a hospital room. This is pre-COVID. I got invited into a room, and there's a whole bunch of family members there because this older gentleman is about to pass away, and so they've invited me as a pastor to come and be with them in that moment and to pray. Um, and I did. Prayed for him, prayed for their family, and then one by one, each person walks up to the bedside and they grab the man's hand and they say the things they most wanted to say to him in that particular moment. And I have this image just seared into my brain, this memory seared into my brain, where his daughter walks up and she grabs his hand and she leans in and she holds it close to her and she looks and she says, Dad, I love you so much. And her face is just a big smile, but her eyes are just flooded with tears. And it's like one of those sacred moments that you find yourself in where the thing being communicated is deeper than even the words would allow, and the dad looks back at her, and he says, with just the little bit of whisper that he had in him at that moment, he looks back and he says, I know, I love you too. And it was powerful, you guys. I just stood there where I'm like, I don't wanna move, I don't know what to do. Like, I just am in this space with these people. Like, this is incredible. Last week, I went to a taco shop here in town, and, There was a guy standing in line next to me and he had these obnoxious rubber sandals on. And I looked at him and he noticed me staring at his sandals. And I said, are they comfortable? And he got a huge smile on his face. And he said, oh man, I love my Crocs. (laughs) Now, think about what just happened. Think about that for two seconds. That man used the exact same word to describe his affection for Crocs sandals that that daughter used to declare her depths to her father. Do you see the breadth of definition that exists in this potential word here when we use that one word love? I don't even know how to wrap my head around it sometimes. I think you get this, right? Like humor me for a moment. Let's walk through some of this. Like think about this. How many of you have ever had a bite of an absolutely amazing meal and you found yourself saying the following phrase? Oh my gosh, I love that. I love this. I had somebody say this to me about Chick-fil-A chicken sandwiches just this last week, right? I love this. And I'm like, well, good. That's good for you. I like that. You know, cool. And you hold this version of love, this word love in one hand that we've just referred to a Chick-fil-A chicken sandwich. And then in the other hand, simultaneously, we're holding this moment where we listen to the words of Jesus where he looks to each of us and he says, a new command I give to you that you would love one another. So we're using the same word that we just used for sandwich as we are with the words of Jesus in that particular moment. It's complicated, isn't it? Trying to hold both of these things all using the same word. Or what about this? How many of you in the midst of this last monsoon season, because the desert was dry and we've been getting dumped on with rain and it's green, how many of you walked outside at one point while it was raining and you're just like, I love rain because we're Tucsonans and we're obsessed with it, right? I love rain. I love it when it rains. When it rains, my wife just walks outside like this is the beginning of the end, like the most amazing thing in the world, just marvels at all of it, you know? I love it. So we use love in that moment for that word and then simultaneously we read, in First John, where it says that he who is without love does not know the Father, for God is love. Right? Anyone who does not love does not know the Father, for God is love. And we just use that same word to talk about our affection for water falling from the sky. What do we do with that? Do You see? It's complicated, isn't it? How many of us have ever witnessed a person who starts a brand new dating relationship and they are smitten, they are excited about it and they look at you and they go, I think that I'm in love. And you're like, talk to me in two weeks, you know, like that moment. (laughs) And they're like, "I, I just love this person. I'm so excited about this person. And then at the very same time, we hold that in one hand and then we hold in the other hand where Jesus looks to each of us and he says, by this, the entire world will come to know that you are my followers right? The one defining characteristic of Christianity. The whole world will come to know that you are my followers by the way that you love one another. I mean, is it the same thing? Because we're using the same word. We only have one here. Or if you're a parent, imagine being a parent. If you're a kid, you've experienced this. You get in a fight with one of your siblings and the parent looks at the kids and says, I need you to learn to just you just love one another because you guys are brother and sister or your brothers or your siblings. Like love one another. And what we really mean is like just get along and stop blowing up the house. You know what I mean? Like that kind of moment. We have that in one moment, and then simultaneously we have the words of Christ where he says, Greater love had none than this than when one lays down their life for their friends. We have one word, guys, and it's this breadth of complexity that gets used in all of this. You see, for us, love can mean so many different things. And the hard thing that I've experienced is when love is so central to Jesus, when love is so central to who he is and becomes so central to the mission of this church, it becomes so difficult for us who are English users because we find ourselves in this space where because it can mean so many things, we've just kind of equated it to like be a nice person. Like just be nice. And that that's what love is, instead of what I have come to believe and see and think is one of the most challenging concepts in the entire Bible, one of the most difficult endeavors to pour my life into that I have ever had to walk out. There's something really hard, really deep about love, and I think we miss it sometimes because we only have one word. Now, in the New Testament of your Bibles, it was written in the language of Greek. Greek has multiple words for love. And I think part of that is because Greek wants this, like the Greek language has this kind of precision. So rather than essentially go, when we say love, it could be a chicken sandwich or it could be the last words to a loved one. There's these different nuances, these different moments, and you actually choose a different word so that you can say and articulate what it is you actually mean. Now, in the Greek language, there are four different words for love, and I want to go through those today because I just want you to see the different possibilities and potentials that could have been used, and then I want to articulate what Jesus used, but I also have another word that I've tacked in there because though it didn't mean love in the first century, it's how we use the word love. And so I just thought it would be worth putting this additional word in here. And I'll start with that one. I want to walk through this with you this morning. So the first word is called epithumia. I want us to say it together on three. Ready? Epithumia. One, two, three. Epithumia. All right, nice work. You're going to forget that in two seconds. Good on you. Epithumia is a strong desire for something, like a strong physical desire for something. When we say, I love a chicken sandwich, What we're saying is, I epithumia, that chicken sandwich. That's the word that we would be using, right? When you look and you're like, I just love it when this happens. I just love it when this moment occurs. I love this thing, right? Whatever it is for you. And it's this physical desire, right? I I love that. What we're using and what we're expressing is the word epithumia. Jesus actually uses this word in Luke chapter 22, verse 15. He's about to be crucified, arrested, like taken away, tried, and then ultimately crucified. And he's at the last supper, right? He's in this Passover meal uh, with his disciples. And he says this in verse 15, he says, I have earnestly desired, there's that word, epithumia. I've earnestly desired to eat this Passover meal with you before I suffer. If we were there, what we would say is, I love that I get to have this moment with you guys. I love that this is happening because there's a lot coming and this is important to me, you see? That's epithemia. Number two, philia. On three. One, two, three. Philia. All right, nice work. Philia is affectionate love of support and care that's found in friendships, found in those strong relationships. Philia is this kind of love that you choose uh, for the people that you have built bonds with over time. This is when you look at a friend and you go, I've got your back, and it's true. This is when you, you look at a friendship and you're like, we're going to walk through thick and thin because I'm, I'm there for you. This is when two guys sheepishly look at each other and go, I love you, man. This is that word, philia. Consequently, this is also the word from which we derive the city of Philadelphia, which means what? Brotherly love, right? Philia, that's what this word is. Jesus uses this, or this word is used in the gospels, John chapter 11. Jesus goes to a funeral. Somebody had died already. They're already in the midst of the mourning process. And as Jesus shows up, he sees their pain and their hurt of these people he really cares about. Verse 35 through 36, it says, Jesus wept, so the Jews looked and they observed this and it said, see how he loved him. And the word that's used there is philia right? This is that word. It's that see the bond that these two had. See the connection that these two shared, right? This is that friendship, that brotherly type of love amongst people that you've built relationships with. So that's the second. Here's the third. Eros. On three. Ready? One, two, three. Eros. Eros is romantic love. So romantic love, right? Passion, intimacy. When somebody looks at you and they're in a new relationship and they go, I think that I'm in love, they're talking about Eros, that's the word that they're using, right? They're describing this Greek word, eros. Romance novels and rom-coms are built on the word, eros. And it's this word that is articulating this intense preoccupation with another person, right? This intense preoccupation with another person. I remember when I was first dating my wife. We'd been together for a little bit of time, been dating for quite a while, and I was smitten with her. I, was. I thought she was the greatest thing I'd ever experienced and seen. I wanted to be around her all the time. And I just couldn't imagine my life without her. So we're sitting on the couch one day and I snuggle in next to her and I look deep into her eyes just like I was taught to in movies and books and things. And I make that like prolonged eye contact that cues that this is clearly going to be a moment. And I look at her and I say, I love you. And the word that I would have used there is I eros you. That's what that moment was. I eros you, right? Romantic love. And she looked back at me and said, thanks. (laughs) She dumped me two days later. Don't worry, I'm over it. We're good. (laughs) I know. There's an entire book of the Bible that details this kind of love. Interestingly enough, it's in the Old Testament. It's called the Song of Solomon. When they went to translate the Old Testament into the Greek language in the first century, that was a translation called the Septuagint. So Jesus often quotes the Old Testament from the Septuagint because he's in a culture quoting Greek sometimes. They use this word eros, and it's such a perfect illustration uh, that's just written about romantic love. Song of Solomon, chapter one. This is the beginning of the book. Verse two, second verse. And this is articulating this moment from this woman's point of view as she's thinking about the man that she loves, talking to him. She says, oh, that he would kiss me with the kisses of his mouth. For your love is more delightful than wine. The fragrance of your perfume is intoxicating. Your name is perfume poured out. No wonder young women adore you. Take me with you. Let us hurry. Oh, that the king would bring me to his chambers. No, that is not the script from Bridgerton. It is the Song of Solomon. (laughs) It is in your Bible, guys. It is all about romantic love. Eros. Do you get it? Do you see it? Like, that's that's what the word they would have used when they're talking about this would have been. That brings us to the fourth one. The fourth one is storge. Say it with me on three. One, two, three, storge. Yeah, storge is familial love, family love. So you know when you have those bonds with people and it's just because that's who you've come from, that's, these are your people. I have a whole group of people that live in Cedar Rapids, Iowa because that's where almost all of my family is from. We are the only ones out here in Arizona. I don't see them, but like maybe once a year, if that kind of a thing, but I feel love and connection to that, like this is my family right? That's storge. I have this. It describes the kind of affection or empathy or belonging that you feel in those family relationships. Storge is what happens when you've been married for a while. When you first, like your honeymoon phase, that's all eros, right? You're like, man, I eros you. And all the married people are like, but talk to me in like five years and tell me what word you're going to use then. And the word that emerges is I storge you, right? Like I, I have this connection with you. We built this thing together. Storge is what happens when maybe the honeymoon phase is a little bit over, and all of a sudden you're building a life and a house, and you're like binding together for the common good with kids and things, and there's this love in that. There's this connection in that. Storge, familial love. It's what kids feel and experience when they don't have to question whether their parents are for them, right? When there's just this sense of security because of that bond that exists that's there. It's powerful. Now here's the thing, storge was a really common word in the first century when all these, you know, when Jesus was around and the gospels were were being written, but it's never used once in the New Testament. Isn't that crazy? Super common word for love, never used once. Its negative is used twice. When I say negative, think of it this way. If I were to look and be like, there's the word love, and then I, there's the word unloving, that'd be the negative, right? So the negative of storge is used twice. Once it's used in Romans, once it's used in 2 Timothy, both times it's used to describe people who choose a life without God. And the word that gets translated uh, there is the word heartless. Like they lose this connection, this peace to this that, that's deeply important, that, that bond, right? That family love. And it says, that, and so those are these different kinds. And now here we finally come to this fifth word, this fifth word, this other kind of love. And this one's really important, you guys. When Jesus says, a new command I give to you, that you would love one another, he's using this word. When First John, when John articulates, anyone who does not have love does not know the Father, for God is love he uses this word. When Jesus says, by this, the whole world will come to know that you actually follow me, that you're my disciple, he uses this one word. That word is agape. Say it with me on three. One, two, three. Agape. This is a huge word, an important word. Agape love is the benevolent, selfless, unconditional love of God. The benevolent, selfless, unconditional love of God. It is love without any requirements and no personal agenda attached to it. It is the kind of love that so values the other person that it needs nothing from them. It simply seeks for them to know and experience that they are loved. It's powerful. It's the kind of love that when you experience it, you don't ever have to ask the question, will I lose this? Because it's not built upon a condition from you. It's just there for you. It's this constant, like a freshwater spring that flows that never ends and satiates your thirst. It becomes this powerful thing. It, you never have, when, you're, when you experience agape love, you never have to ask the question, but what do they want from me? When you experience agape love, you never have to go, but what if I am not the person I need to be for them to love me this way? It's just there for you because that person so desires to love you. They have no agenda. They don't need anything from you. It is unconditional. They're simply giving it away because they want you to know and be loved. It is the selfless and unconditional love of God. Here's what's crazy. Do you know that in the first century, no one was using that word? I didn't know this. When you go to look up like a history on agape love, there were moments, this was a word that did exist in Greek culture, but it was used really intermittently. It was really hard to even find like just different historians or moments that that reference even this word in the vocabulary. The couple of times that you can even find the thing, it was because there was like a Roman official or a Greek official or somebody like that, that everybody so respected, loved, and admired, and it would say they had agape for this person. But it's, it's minor. When Jesus shows up on the scene, no one is using the word agape. It is not prevalent. It is not, it it was like virtually non-existent. It was in the periphery or the background of the Greek language. And I think it's fascinating. I think it's brilliant that when Jesus shows up and he wants to do something special in the lives of people, and when he wants to, to demonstrate his mission, as opposed to all the different things that came before him, that he had this wealth of vocabulary to choose from. He's not like us. We didn't ha- he didn't have just the one word that means all of the things. He had options. He could have shown up and said, what I want is storge. What I want is phileo. What I want is eros, but he doesn't. Instead, he grabs a hold of this word agape as if to say, I want you to see something that you can't just write off. I want you to see something that doesn't cause you to look and go, oh, I've heard this, I know that. Like, that's what that is. I want you to see something that strikes you as deeper and newer and better than all of these things. And he coins the word agape to the degree that now when you hear the word agape love, it is synonymous with the unconditional love of God. In fact, even in secularism today, like go go read through, like I just read an article in the Times that talked about agape love as the unconditional love of God. He reshaped the Greek language to prioritize this word so that people wouldn't get it confused with all the other expressions that exist out there and they'd see the depth and the power of the love of Jesus and what he was actually articulating it. I think that when people knew, or that Jesus knew that when people experienced genuine agape love, I think he knew that he knows that it leaves the person who's just experienced going, wait, what was that? I think he knew that when people experience genuine, unconditional love, love without an agenda, love just because you are loved and give that, giving that peace away, that when people experience that kind of love and it's trustworthy and it's true that people stop in their tracks and go, what just happened?" Because it's rare. And it's powerful. And it opens up our experience to go like, is this real? Can I trust this? And when you can, watch out. It's this crazy, crazy experience. And I love that Jesus, with all of the wisdom, was like, I'm going to coin this particular word because I want my movement to be characterized by a kind of love that's deeper than what most people wrestle with when they think of this one word. Agape love. This is huge. Agape love, friends, is the defining characteristic of Christianity. Do you realize this? It is the only attribute ever attributed, not just to describe God, but to the very essence of who God is. The only time in all of scripture that a word like this is used to say, this is God right? Is this word agape love. It is the attribute that Jesus says, the whole world will know that you actually follow me when they experience this one thing that I don't experience like anywhere else, that I don't feel and and encounter in the same way. This one thing, agape love is the very reason that God gave us Jesus. For God so agape the world, for God so loved the world that he gave his son. And it is the fuel that the church is meant to run on. This is why it's the heart of our mission. This is why it's that active verb that exists in there. Now, I wanna ask you a question though, personally, and you don't have to answer this out loud. I just want you to think to yourself on this, but be really honest. When you hear that the core of our church's mission is to love people, what do you hear? Think about this, and let me be, maybe I'll be more pointed, I, and being really honest with yourself just right now, when you see that word love in this mission, what comes to your mind? Which version of love do you see? Think about it for a second. And it's okay. Whatever your answer is, just let it be. Let it be that answer. When you hear that word love, is it love like the way we talk about a chicken sandwich or a desert rain for you? When you hear that word love, is it love like when we tell our kids to behave and love one another so that we can all just like get along? Is that what it is? Is it love like when you watch a romantic comedy, right? And these two people are smitten with each other and then the movie's over and it's over too. What is it? Is it just doing the right thing? Is that the image that comes to mind or the definition? Is loving people being politically correct so you never upset anybody? Because as long as you never upset anybody, you're loving people. (laughs) Like what is it for you? When you hear that word, love, that we want to love people into the acceptance and freedom of Jesus Christ, what comes to your mind? What definition do you currently hold? And I want you to just acknowledge it for two seconds so that we can be really, really clear. Because here's what I want to say. If it isn't the transformative love of Jesus if it isn't the unconditional and selfless love of God, if it isn't agape love, then we aren't talking about the same thing. And I want to be super clear about that because in English we have so many different definitions. When we say we want to love people into the acceptance and freedom of Jesus Christ, we are talking about agape love love. That's why we've landed at this definition of loving people is when you seek their good without your own agenda, right? That's how we've gotten here and that's why we hold this thing so dear is because agape is too important to muddy it up and blend it in with all these other things. Jesus prioritized it so heavily that he chose a brand new word for everyone to wrestle with the experience they would have from him. And so I don't want to muddy it up here either. I want us to hold it with clarity, we're talking about selfless and unconditional love. We're talking about someone loving someone else with the same depth and the same power that God is currently in this very moment right here and now, loving you, and loving you and loving you and loving you and loving you and loving all of you. Right now, the fullness of that unconditional love for you, that's what we're talking about, agape love, right? I think that we are talking about one of the most difficult endeavors on the planet because when we try to give agape love to other people, do you know what gets in the way? Like most of the time, our own baggage, our own insecurities, our own fears, our frustrations, like all of our stuff tends to get in the way. We bring our own agendas, our own strategies, our own submissions, our own all of these other pieces to it. And then suddenly it's not agape love anymore. It's something else. And we might brand it and say, this is what our church is, that we love people and this is the kind of love. But if it's not agape, we can't settle for anything less. This becomes immensely powerful, immensely important. And I just want you to know, I don't think it's easy or simple. And I know that for some of us, you'd look at me and you'd go, really, like, love is, I get it. So, like, love is like a super basic thing. And I would just pause you right there and go, no, it's not. (laughs) Or love is really easy. I get it. I've said that before. Like, yeah, we're just settling for an easy way out by choosing love. I, I, I just don't think we're being honest when we say that. Think about this. When it comes to this idea of loving other people, think about this for me. Do you think it's easy to love other people? Let me ask you this. Is it easy to love your kids? Some of you are like, yeah, my kids are easy to love. Yeah, but what about like five minutes from now? Right? I love my kids. I do. And then all of a sudden they like scream and shout at me and I'm trying to be patient and I'm trying to like love them and engage them in different stuff. And it's just like testing every ounce. It's hard to love your kids sometimes. I love them, but sometimes I get all over the place with that. What about when they scream and shout at you? What about when they don't prioritize your cares or well-being because they're kids and your life is suddenly like revolving and doing all of these things with them? Is it easy to love them in that moment? If you say yes, like we need to talk. There's a bunch of parents that want to know the secret. Like what is it that makes that happen? Is it easy to love your spouse? Some of you guys are like, that's not a safe question. It's not easy to love your spouse. Guys, the marriage rate isn't where it's at right now because it's easy to love your spouse. Is it easy to love your friends? No. What about when they hurt you? What about when your spouse hurts you? What about when that person votes for somebody different than you? What about when that person has opinions about things and they don't seem like they have enough room in their environment for your opinions to matter and count with them too, right? What about when they hurt you? Is it easy to love other people? Honestly, is it? I think it's like the craziest thing in the world to love other people because sometimes they don't change the way that we want them to. Sometimes they hurt us. Sometimes we're just really tired. Sometimes when there's just been enough frustrations or injustices or mistakes that stack up from a whole host of people that it just becomes hard to love people in general at all. Sometimes people betray us and sometimes people just annoy us. And it's really hard to love someone in almost all of those moments. Love is not this easy thing. Love is this crazy endeavor. I think that's why half the time we're like, can we just talk about something other than love? Because it keeps pointing us back to the most difficult thing on the planet that we actually have to be wrestling with. And you know what the crazy thing about this is too? Is that you can wrestle with all of that. You're like, yeah, I know, that's all, all that's difficult. You know what else is crazy difficult? You can't go and love somebody else really well if you haven't also loved yourself in this particular way. And it's just because of this, the things you hate most about yourself or dislike most about yourself will always be the thing that you come to withhold love for the other. It's just what it is. And so there's this weird obligation that we all have too, or weird responsibility, whatever word you prefer, to wrestle with our own stuff so that we can be fully loved by God. And that's hard too. It's weird. And all of this comes out in this endeavor of what does it mean to love God and love other people as we seek to be this genuine expression of agape love. Loving other people with agape love, in my opinion, might just be the single most difficult endeavor that we could ever set out to engage in. And yet it is absolutely vital, central, important, and core to who Jesus is. Love has to be When it comes to a church, love has to be at the core of our mission if we want the world to look at us and encounter Jesus. Has to. Love has to be at the core of our mission as a church or we are completely missing the point of what it means to be his church. Paul said it this way. I want to read you a passage out of 1 Corinthians chapter 13, beginning verse 1. He says this, and he's writing to a church, by the way, that was arguing about what was most important for the church. So this is a good moment. Chapter 13, verse 1, he says, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but I have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Think about what he just said. Think about, like, even just walk through verse 1. In verse 1, if I can speak eloquently with the language of people, even the language of angels to the degree that when I need to convey something and say something, I can capture it and you hear it and it resonates and I have all that, but I don't love people, but I don't have love, then I am nothing more than a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. What he is saying there is that my words at best are unpleasant, at worst are obnoxious to the world around me. If there's no love in the midst and center of those things, it doesn't matter. Verse two, if I know what God is saying, right? Because when you think of prophecy, a lot of people think it's like the ability to predict the future. The idea of prophecy was the ability to know what God is doing, to articulate what God is saying. It's to be able to center in on the truth of what God is after. So if I know all prophecy, if I uncover all mysteries, if I've read the Bible front and back, have the thing memorized and can quote scripture and have it in turn, like get it. Like I've got it. It's all in me. If I have all of those things, and I even have the kind of faith where I can walk outside of this building, look at the Catalinas, and be like, little to the left, and they shift. If I have all of that, and I don't have love, he says, I am nothing. What's the point? Verse 3. How many of you guys, by the way, as we get to verse three, you've ever thought to yourself in a church, like, I just need to be more committed, and if I just tried harder, and if I just really dedicated this time, and if I just really gave it what it needs, then like, that's what I need to be doing. Verse three is for you. And if I sacrifice, right? Think about it. If I give away everything, if I become fully devoted, if I take this seriously, if I'm so committed that I even become a martyr of the church, my body to be burned, but I have no love. I'm not loving people. He says, I Gain nothing. That's powerful. Love has to be at the center of our mission because without it, the church is nothing more than obnoxious noise, empty wisdom, and religious dedication with no real gain. It's core, you guys. It's central to who we are. And that's why I love that this is at our heart, that this is our mission, that we get to express something so beautiful here. I want to share a story with you about a girl who came through our youth ministry. So it was a long time ago, and I want you to know that I'm allowed to share this story. I share that cuz there's some details in the story that are going to make you uncomfortable cuz they're personal. And that I want you to know that that's okay. So there was this girl that attended our youth ministry. She was in high school. And over time, uh, she was really connected, had lots of friends, saw her, you know, around all the time, was just very involved. And then all of a sudden, she just fell off the planet, like disappeared, and I didn't see her. One day, I was walking through a store, and I look up, and I see her and her friends. She's there at the store, and and I say, hey, how are you? And she has this weird moment with me where she pretends not to know me, looks down awkwardly, and then just kind of runs off in the other direction. I thought, that was super weird. What happened with that? So that week we went to, you know, had small groups here at the church, and I pulled a couple leaders who would have known her a little better, and I said, hey, is there anything going on? I had this exchange, and the leader said, oh, that makes sense. She began to tell me about this moment that occurred that year. So apparently this girl had gone to a party, and at this party her friends had dared her to drink a bunch, and so they kept handing her different drinks and all this stuff, and she was drinking that, and they weren't really drinking very much, and then when she became really intoxicated, she started to to just make a spectacle of herself and do a bunch of crazy things, and they videotaped the whole thing, and they began sending that to other people and distributing that, and all of a sudden, there's this moment where it's just her reputation, all this stuff is just getting shattered, and she's getting made fun of and torn down, and it was really, really tough for her. And on that same particular evening, she, gets, she understands this, but she's also intoxicated, doesn't know what to. And so she goes and is having a hard time, and her boyfriend comes over and is at the party, and they end up going further than they had planned on on that particular evening, too. And this starts a whole bunch of rumors. She went to a Christian school. And so when she goes to school the next day, people have videos of things, and people have notes and messages and all this different stuff, and they just tear her to pieces over all of this. And so she didn't want to be around any Christians for fear of what might happen with that so she disappeared from church and she she hadn't been there and I said we need to reach out like we need to try to connect with her somehow we tried and and nothing happened that year for whatever reason hadn't seen her all year and then she came to summer camp with us there's this moment at summer camp where we're talking where I'm talking with the students and I just said if any of you have not had somebody pray for you We'd love to, like I'd love to pray for you, one of your leaders would, like if you just need someone to talk to or someone to pray with you or care about you, I just want you to know, like you have that here uh, and that we would love the opportunity to do that. And lo and behold, who do I find in front of me wanting to pray with me but the last person that I thought would want to and it's her. She says, can I talk to you? And I said, sure, and we stepped outside and we're standing there right outside this area, this chapel thing that we're meeting in and sit down on this wall and I said, how are you? Is there anything I can do? Is there something? Do you need something? And she just begins to sob as she starts to give me back this whole account of all of this stuff that she walked through. She talked about going to that party. She talked about her friends daring her and her trusting people and different things. And she goes, I know that I made some stupid choices and I know that I was being an idiot and I did some stuff. And she's like, but I just felt so hurt. And I just didn't expect that and I felt like I suddenly had no friends. And then she told me that she'd been crying in a hallway at the party. That her boyfriend had come over to comfort her, and that that moment had escalated into other moments. And he dumped her two weeks later when he realized that her reputation was sour with the school and all of this stuff. And she was just devastated, you guys. And I said, You don't have to tell me all of this. And she goes, I I, I wanted to. And I said, Well, what what did you do? What happened? And she said, I went to school, and my Bible teacher took me aside and said he wanted to talk to me that same week. And he sat down and he opened up the book of 1 Corinthians. He began to read me a series of passages about drunkenness and the word debauchery was in one of them and about all these things. And he basically said that I was living in a moral life and that I needed to repent and turn my life around. And then he also said that I had caused a brother to stumble and that I need to like hold myself in high regards to protect the people around me. And my fists are starting to clench as I'm hearing some of this, just if I'm honest with you and i said i didn't know what to say i just said what was that exchange like for you and she said i was so relieved that someone that i thought was going to love and care about me was, I was finally going to get to talk. Like, she's like, I got shut out from everything. I was finally going to get to talk to somebody and maybe prayed for it and maybe like have conversation about this. And she was like, and then all it was was just judgment and condemnation. And it felt like a thousand pounds. Like I just got crushed into the ground with all of this. And I'm, I was so frustrated in that particular moment. And I said, is that why you're sharing this with me? And she said, yes, I just wanted to see if you would do the same thing what we don't realize at times, one, is that it should break our hearts when the very place that people need love the most becomes the place they fear condemnation the hardest. Two, what we don't realize is that so often people have heard a counter mission or experienced a counter mission on behalf of Christianity to either make you right, to either make you correct, to have you be guilty in repentance and whatever these are, like a whole bunch of different stuff here that, that are counter missions that don't actually land with this idea of love starting there, being absolutely central there. And now they've, they've got this taste in their mouth so that when they set foot in churches and in places, they come here to these moments and what they're asking is, is this you too? Is this what church is like? Is this who Jesus is? And she was testing me in that particular moment to do that. And I looked at her and I just was overwhelmed. And I I said, how could I heap a bunch of stuff on your back that you already can't, are struggling to carry right now? I... No. And then I said, I just feel like the spirit of God is moving in me to tell you, you are absolutely 100% unconditionally loved. And her shoulders heaved and shook as she wept and just like melted in front of me. And I looked at her and I just got this weird sense through this whole conversation. I said, and if this had gone the way you thought it was going to go, what were you going to do? And she already had a plan and a letter to end her life. And this was her last moment, you guys. And my heart was just broken. Because here's this person that was just seeking out over and over again, who will love me? And not, who will phileo me? Not, who will storge me? Not, who will eros me? No, who will agape me? Who will love me unconditionally in my depths? Who will meet me in this place? And and, and see me, and tell me they have a place with me, and it just, I can't even begin to tell you the weight that I saw began to lift off her. The agape love was a transformational ingredient that changed not only her spiritual life, but saved her physical life in that particular moment, you guys. It was so powerful. Sorry. I was so overwhelmed by this, And she looks back at me and she says, and it's like she couldn't believe it at first and she has to check in one more time. And she looks at me and she says, but don't you think I'm a terrible person? And I said, no more than me. You just seem like a human being who's had some moments and made some mistakes or had some regrets or had some things and I am so sorry that you have felt so alone. And it just was powerful to watch her walk away from that experience. We connected her back with a small group leader. She didn't end up taking her life. In fact, there was this powerful transformation in this girl from this point forward as she walks away to the degree that a year later, she's standing in front of a small group of girls. Who also are struggling with a thousand things because of images and different stuff and a whole bunch of stuff that happens in high school. And she stands up and she shares her story detail by detail, moment by moment, gets to the end and says, I want you to know that you are absolutely unconditionally and fully loved. And I'm experiencing that same thing and it's changed my life and I want the same thing for you. We think so often that the mission we need to endeavor upon is a mission of condemnation, a mission of setting the world straight, a mission of living right or being right or doing right. And it's not that everything in those things are always bad. It's that if it doesn't start with love at its absolute center and core, if it doesn't look like the agape love of God, then it doesn't speak of Jesus. It's who he is. It's what he wants to do through us. And he's doing that powerfully in you. You know, I've been doing ministry here as a pastor at this church for 15 years now. I know Glenn's been here much longer than that. There's other people that have been here a long time too. This isn't one story. I've seen this hundreds of times now, you guys. I've seen it in students. I have seen it in adults. There is something absolutely transformational about real and genuine love. It becomes the ingredient whereby when we enact it, Jesus does his best work in a person. And so I'm asking you guys to live this mission out and I promise to try my best to live this thing out with you and we'll screw it up a little bit because we're people and but it's good, isn't it? It's beautiful, isn't it? And there's things in this for each and every one of us. I want to leave you with two challenges in light of all this. Don't settle for less. Here's number one. Don't settle for less than agape when it comes to love. This year, When that word love pops into your head and you're thinking about it as it pertains to this church and this mission, and you're like, well, that's just a nice, no, don't settle for less than agape love. When you're like, well, that's just us being kind. No, don't settle for less than agape love. Really reach into yourself and just hold on to this beautiful idea of the unconditional love of God. Why? Because we wanna see people have the genuine experience of saying, I have a place here because I have a place with God. That's acceptance, isn't it? Don't settle for anything less. Why? Because we wanna see people have the genuine experience of living out of who they were made to be as God takes them on that adventure and they partner in faith, because that's freedom. So we wanna love people in that direction. And that brings me to the second thing, and it's this. Let yourself be the recipient of this mission. I mean, I want this mission to go out. I want us to love other people in this profound way. I want agape for our entire community, but that starts with you, receiving this same thing for yourself. And I know that's awkward and weird for some of us sometimes. We have a hard time with that. We're like, I love other people. And I'm like, God deeply loves you. And you're like, well, sort of, because I got some stuff. There are some of you in this room that are still holding a part of you back, where there's a part of you that God wants to love right here. And you're like, well, I need to fix that first. And then he can love me. And I would say, that's not agape. Don't settle for anything less. Let him love you even there in your darkest of moments, in your greatest of regrets, in the moments in your life where you felt like you were the most hidden and have the most shame, in that moment the love of God is completely and fully for you even there in that place. Isn't that nuts? That's agape love. Don't settle for anything less. Will you start by embracing this thing for yourself so that we can powerfully give it away to one another and to the surrounding community? The worship band's here and there's this song that articulates this, it's so personal, that I asked if they would come and just sing that as an application for us, as an expression of receiving that moment. So you take a moment to just receive this yourself, use your words, use your heart, and embrace this thing too. It's gonna be good, friends. I'm excited for what's to come. Thanks.
1: Amen, amen. What a wonderful uh, morning, man. So as a community, as a church, right? we have this calling. We have this purpose. We have this mission to love people into the acceptance and freedom of Jesus Christ. And can I just say, on behalf of the pastors and the leaders of this church, how much we want you to experience that, to be able to live in that. And can I also say that, and I, and I say this as like the, the senior pastor of this church, the thing that I want to ask and challenge all of us to do is out of that then, is to live that out in the lives of some other people, of someone else. Do this at a personal level. Maybe, maybe it's how you live it out in people that you come across in here, but, but do that out there in the community as well. Do that in the areas that you serve, and if you don't have a place to serve, find a place where you can be a part of this church body, living it out in tangible ways that people are loved into the embrace of what it means to be accepted, to understand that they're like that acceptance that they can feel that they have a place and then to experience who they are in Christ, who they were created, to be. That is a beautiful thing. And so um, as soon as we're done with the service here, one of the things that we built into this morning was at the back of the rooms, we have people from our different ministry areas. And so if you're like, I do want to serve. I I want to find a place where I can live this out. I want to encourage you. Uh, Back over here, we've got uh, pastors and Uh, key leaders from our children's area and our youth uh, areas and back here from our adult communities area and guest services and for our worship services. So find a place to, to express what God has done for you and through you in this community. Um, and, and live that out. And by the way, if you're a guest here this morning, so good to have you. And if you've never had the chance to like meet Ryan, um, he's going to be right uh, over here at the tables. If you're new to Casas, come and find him, shake his hand. I'll be around in here. I would love to uh, greet you and shake your hand. Um, may God bless you and shine his face upon you and bring you goodness and beauty in your life amen have a great morning and we'll see you next week